Okay, it's, it's um this week is as I mentioned last uh, or two weeks ago. These episodes will now be coming out for the next few weeks or few uh, a couple months. We're going to be doing bi-weekly, so every two weeks. Uh, and so there was no episode last week. This week we're gonna I'm going to be talking about Big Little Lies season two, and then I'm going to get into The Boys on Amazon. And then afterward, there's a little snippet about lottery math. So we'll get to the song now. Hey everyone, welcome to the Experience Podcast, and uh, well, it's just me. It's uh, just Daniel this week because, uh, well, Connor, Connor's very busy, Tanner's somewhere in Europe. We're not really sure. You know what? I should probably double check on that. Um, but this is partly because of uh, scheduling things and also because I had some stuff to talk about, um, and we're kind of trying something for the fall. We'll see. You, have, you guys have to let us know if you like this kind of format where it's just me. Uh, and we're going to see if I can talk to myself for long enough. This may only be like three minutes long, or it could go as long. I mean, you'll know you clicked on the thing, so you'll know exactly how long this is. But uh, I do, I'm do. i going to be talking about a couple shows that, uh, that have just launched recently. Or Big Little Lies has kind of been weekly. And then The Boys just dropped this weekend at the time of this recording. So it'll, it'll, this recording will come on Tuesday, yes. So it's a good amount of time for you guys to watch it. I won't spoil that one. I will be getting to, into some of the details on Big Little Lies Season 2. So if you haven't seen it and you're still waiting on it, I'll just tell you it's great, I think. I think it's not quite as good as the first season, but it's uh, still a very interesting show. I don't know if they're going to do another season based on kind of where it ends, but I'm sure they will. It's it's HBO. They like to, you know, milk out these shows as long as they can, uh, unless the creators tell them not to. You know. uh, but anyway, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So again, uh, let us know. Uh, I guess leave a message. You can leave a message on Anchor. You can leave a comment or a rating on uh, iTunes or on YouTube. But let us know if you like this kind of solo format. Um, but also the, the best way for you to tell, tell us what you like is to just keep downloading these episodes. You know, the ones that have more downloads we'll, we pay attention to and we try to adapt to what our listeners want to hear. So uh, it doesn't always have to be just random nonsense. Although Connor and I, you know, be, I, it, what's funny is Connor and I, you think this podcast is just kind of a show? That's kind of how we talk in person. Like, I'll meet him for whatever, or we'll be doing something. And it's those, the same conversations we have in person, outside of the podcast, off air, are the same ones we have on air. So that that's the funny thing, is, is everyone thinks it's a, it's a personality or whatever. That's just how we are. Anyway, I'm going to get into uh, <laughs> the reason you guys maybe clicked on this, is uh, Big Little Lies Season 2. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot that happens. Uh, of course, uh, my memory is really bad when it comes to shows, which maybe isn't a good idea for me to be talking about these things. But uh, I'm basically going to be giving kind of overall thoughts. I'm going to get into each. I'm going to go by character. I think that's the best way to do it is to get into each storyline individually because they all each of the uh, what they're referred to as the Monterey Five uh, have their own kind of situation going on, and obviously they do cross over a lot. And so the season picks up pretty much right where the other one left off. Uh, it's the next school year. The kids are back in elementary school. They have a new teacher who shows up at the beginning for a little bit and then disappears because of reasons. Uh, and so each, uh, character, uh, goes through their own, through, is dealing with what happened, um, on the night of the death of, uh, Nicole Kidman's uh, character Celeste, uh, husband, Perry Wright, right? It's all about 
the aftermath of Perry Wright. And that's kind of what the focus, the overall focus of this season is about. And I'm going to talk about the one who maybe connects the least amount, and that's Laura Dern's character. And so Laura Dern plays Renata, um, who's who's kind of a, a woman who's made her own in terms of uh, financially. She's got a, her husband, we find out uh, relatively early on, has lost all her money in some, uh, I, I don't remember exactly how, but it's, it's, it's some illegal moving money around, let's just say. Uh, and so you kind of can see how in the first season she's so... Uh, she's so protective of her daughter, and in this season, it's all about being protective of her family overall and her legacy, you know, and there's a great line, I can't remember which episode, I think it's the second episode, where she says, I will not not be rich, you know, she just, and being in that Monterey area, they're all kind of in that wealthy area, uh, and they all love, and especially Laura Dern's character, Renata, loves be, loves that affluent society that, that she lives in, and so it kind of throws her character completely for a loop, when she finds out she has lost all her money, and, and that's really what she goes through the whole through the whole season. I think she's great. She may be one of the best. Uh, that may be one of the best performances of the season. Uh, the way she, you can just see the mental breakdown of her character, uh, and her husband. You learn more about as well, uh, and and kind of in the fir- what's funny is in the first time you meet him, he's kind of the guy, and you meet him when uh, Laura Dern's daughter is. The Amabella is the uh, subject of bullying, right? That's the whole kind of point of the first season, or part of it, is someone's bullying Amabella, and you can see the husband initially is like, you know, let's just uh, keep, let's keep calm, let's just figure this out, and then you kind of see toward the end. Uh, I think it's maybe the second last episode of the first season. He goes and threatens Shanley Woodley's character in the uh, cafe, and uh, he he really. You really start to dis, and that's kind of where I first was like, yeah, I don't know about this guy. And then you really start to, uh, he really uh, goes downhill in this season. So uh, Lord Ern's character, obviously a great arc, I think, in this season. Uh, the next one we'll talk about, I think, you know, Shailene Woodley uh, is, is a big factor in the first season. So she plays, um, what's the character's name? Jane, yeah, Jane Chapman. Uh, she's uh, being being a rape victim and, and uh kind of trying to figure out and solve who was the guy, and, and eventually we find out it was Perry. Uh, in the second season, she doesn't necessarily have as much to do. She kind of takes more of a back seat. I think it's okay. Um, she, still, she still has, I mean, not that she doesn't have anything to do, uh, and she kind of plays a role in the, in the Meryl, with the Meryl Streep character, and I'll get into that later, um, where Meryl Streep kind of, who's uh, infringing on... Uh, Nicole Kidman's, I don't remember all the names, the names are tough, on Celeste's family, uh, you could see that Jane starts to get concerned, oh no, is she coming for me next? Is, is Mary Louise coming for my family next too? Because Ziggy is obviously the child of Perry and uh, Jane. But anyway, I, let's, I'm going to talk about Zoe Kravitz's character a little bit. I think, uh, well, obviously we know that she was the one that pushed uh, Perry down the stairs, and we start to see more about her background. We really don't learn a lot about her in the first season, and we do we learn a lot more once her mom comes on onto the show this season, when she comes in, and and you can see the tension there, and how Zoe Kravitz has has always had a very tenuous relationship, not just with her mom, but also a little bit with her dad too, uh, but mostly with her mother, and and so eventually she kind of confesses to her mother, hey, I I really 
did not appreciate the way you raised me and all that, and eventually admits um, to a comatose, her comatose mother, that she was the one that pushed her. And in the end, in the last shot of the season, we do see the Monterey Five go into the station. So you can kind of see where she starts in the, in the end of the last season, where she's just shocked that she did it, to now, she, and throughout the whole season, she's learning how to uh, deal with it is the wrong word, but... but uh, come into a realization that that happened and that she maybe needs to own up to it or, or at least figure out a way to maybe hiding it was not the best idea and it just eats into her personal life. Uh, her husband, uh, his name escapes me. Is it Nathan? Yeah, Nathan. Nathan is also concerned. He can see that there's something wrong with her, but obviously he doesn't know. Monterey Five are the only ones that know exactly what happened to Perry that night. And so Nathan is just kind of... Uh, saying, well, what's going on? But uh, I think he does a good job there. So, so that's Zoe Kravitz. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is an interesting one. So we find out in the first season that she, Reese Madeline, I should say. I'll, I'll try to use character names, but I, I know the actresses. I just, uh, the characters, there's a lot of characters in this season, and they introduce, the new ones again, Meryl Streep, who's great. Um, but anyway, Reese Witherspoon, Madeline, uh, we find out cheated on her husband, Ed. There you go, Adam Scott. Uh, and you could see, did that happen the first season or the second season? I believe that was the first season. And it, you see more of the fallout. Again, this is a very this season is very heavy on the fallout of the and the impact of what happened last season. And I think it, initially when I heard they were doing a second season, I was like, well, what are they going to do? We've already figured the first season wraps up so nicely and there doesn't seem to be an obvious storyline to go forward. That's kind of why... Uh, and that's uh, why I was pretty shocked that they did a nice job of, of addressing the fallout. And I'm in a similar boat for the third season, but we'll see if they figure it out. And they haven't, I don't think they've announced that yet. Or at the time of this recording, they haven't. So anyway, uh, she, you could uh, Ed eventually finds out her daughter spills the beans. And this season is all about repairing that relationship for, for Madeline and she, he's kind of, he, he, not the silent treatment, but just kind of the neglectful treatment where I guess those kind of mean the same thing, but not necessarily that he's not talking. He just doesn't want to deal with her in general, like at all. Um, he's still there. He's not like he left her. He just goes about his day and doesn't really address anything. And, and it, it takes him pretty much the whole season to finally figure out what does he want? And he just wants, actually they settle on, they renew their vows and it's a really lovely sequence. Um, and I think they, they, that storyline doesn't get a lot of time, but they did a nice job of, of uh, giving Madeline something really impactful to do, and you really learn more about her character and how she's not just about got to get my daughters into college or whatever, got to get all about my daughters. It's almost about her relationship with her husband. Um, and so let's get into the meat. So that, those carry those cover the four of the Monterey Five. The really the meat of this story happens when um, Perry's mother, Mary Louise, comes down. To Monterey and says, "Hey, hey, Celeste, let me let me help out with the kids. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang around here just because you know of the Perry situation." And eventually, Mary Louise says, "You know what, Celeste? You're, you're, there's there's something, something off about you. I'm gonna have to take custody of the kids." And so, pretty much, this, the back half of the season is all about. Uh, well, the last two episodes are, are mainly a court kind of a court case, uh, and so. But the first half is all about her learning about Celeste's problems, and she Celeste is going through a lot. You know, her her abusive husband had just died, and so there's a lot going through her head. She found out he was unfaithful, um, 
and uh, she's all she's dealing with she has a bit of a drug problem in this season um she eventually learned that she has she's maybe has a uh, a sex problem as well and so you 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 start to see her kind of unravel um and mary louise does not help with that she almost and she definitely makes it worse because celeste can feel the pressure of her and so eventually she files sure she they set a date a court date and um the court scenes are probably some of the best scenes in this whole series i mean they, they do a great job meryl streep gives her whole uh, i guess this would be an emmy well it, it came out too late for it to be nominated for the this year's emmys but it will be i i have to assume she'll get not meryl streep especially will get nominated and the show in general will get nominated for several emmy awards next year because uh she's fantastic especially when she gets up on the stand uh, and the whole series, or not the whole series, the whole season, you're you're kind of, and I, especially me, I was asking myself, is she, you don't really know what Mary Louise's goal is, and you don't know if she's the villain, or or what, what she's trying to, get, trying to get at, eventually you learn she is trying to take custody of the kids, but she's still, there's there's a bit of an evil in her the whole time, and they, they reveal it toward the end uh exactly what happened in, in her past with perry and i won't i won't give i've already given away a lot of what happens in the series but just in case uh i won't give away exactly everything but uh they did give a background and there's plenty of twists and turns throughout the season this season that i think kept me interested again not quite as tight as the first season i think the first season had a better uh overall narrative but some of the individual stories in this season were far better again like laura Dern's story i think zoe kravitz had a great story um and then uh, obviously the, the celeste and mary louise story those were all those are probably the three standout ones uh for me and so anyway that's uh pr that pretty much covers big Lies season two uh i don't really have anything else to talk about that uh again if you guys could leave your comments i can uh, maybe we can address them in the next episode but uh, the next few, I believe, will be... I mean, I posted the schedule on the anchor feed of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, and so those are all pre-recorded. Um, again, those are old episodes of, of a different podcast that I ran, but I, I think there's some good segments in there that I, that I pieced out. Uh, but anyway, the, that covers kind of the Monterey 5. There's not a lot else that goes on. I think, uh, again, it's shot very well. Oh, let's talk about... So there was a bit of a... Uh, there's a bit of a, what's it called, controversy, I guess, surrounding this season. So basically, the first season was completely shot by um, by the same director. Uh, let me get the name. Right, by uh, Jean-Marc Vallée. Right. He, shot, he was the director for the whole first season. He kind of helped shepherd that first season. Well, the second season, um, was, they were supposed to bring in a new director that was going to be uh andrea arnold right but what ended up happening was she eventually uh lost creative control uh, apparently and so uh what happened was they ended up kind of re-editing a lot of the stuff that she shot uh jean-marc valet ended up coming in and doing also a bunch of reshoots about it after he had been sh done shooting his his series, she was shooting sharp objects for uh, for something else, and so uh, you can kind of see a lot of the weird cuts and weird edits 
uh, in the series, uh, and, and it's it's unfortunate that they couldn't just let her do revision or just bring him back or, or find some compromise. But what ended up having was she lost a lot of the control in the editing room. So you have one director shooting it, and then another director uh, essentially leading the editing, and so it it was very. Uh, it was very. It, sometimes it can feel very jar, uh, jarring in the edits, and, and maybe you didn't notice. But if you go back and watch them, you can really tell. Like, there's some really weird cuts. Like right uh, at the end, like they'll just be having a conversation, and then just randomly cuts. Uh, but anyway, uh, that that is something that I wanted to, to bring up. It's not a big. It, I don't think it's a big deal. Or I mean, it was a big deal for Andrea for Andrea Arnold, and I don't know how the uh, union stuff will work with that, but. In terms of the story that they wanted to tell, I think I think it was still effective, even though there was some uh, controversy with, with the directing. Uh, so anyway, that's that's a Big Little Lies season two. Uh, I'm gonna talk about. So I wasn't gonna do this originally, but the series just came out uh, this weekend, and I, I I I think I have to talk about this. I think uh, some, maybe some of our listeners would like to hear about it, but it's a very different type of show. Big Little Lies is kind of a very uh, serious drama. It deals with a lot of. Uh, real-world problems that a lot of uh, women and people in general struggle with, often on a daily basis. The Boys is a 180 pivot. So this is, this is a, uh, I don't know if it's a comedy. It's a, it's a, it's a superhero show, but in a, in a different way than you would expect, right? This is not The Flash. This is, and it's very hard to describe what this show is about, but it's basically, it's a world where there are superheroes, um, and they exist, it's the present day, um, but it's not necessarily that idealized version. It's really much more of a realistic, and I know you, you everyone, everyone talks about, oh, it's, it's, a, it's superheroes, but it's real. You know, it's real. This is, this is like if superheroes existed, but they were run by uh, a corporation, and they were, there was corruption in there. They weren't necessarily superheroic all the time. They're not those idealized superheroes. They are... Uh, they're shooting movies. They're they're doing marketing campaigns. They're they're mainly just there to make money for this company, right? They're they're corporate sellouts in a way. <laughs> to, and and so, this series is about a group of vigilantes that tries to expose them and tries to take them down. And these vigilantes are just normal people. That's kind of one of the best parts. They are just a bunch of average people, who have, who are kind of smart in some ways. Uh, but they. And they, and they all, a lot of them, or a couple of them, I should say, have their personal reasons. And I won't spoil this series since it just came out, but they have their reasons for why they're in on this taking down the superheroes. Um, and the best part about the series, though, is, maybe not the best part, but there are very, everyone kind of, you don't know who to root for. There are a couple of uh, characters who, who maybe shine a little brighter than others, and I think one of them uh, is... Annie or Starlight, she played. Uh, I forget who who plays Aaron Moriarty, plays Starlight, um, who kind of shoots light out, or is like a light character, right? She plays. She shoots light out of her eyes and hands and stuff. But she's kind of your way in. She is maybe one of the only morally good people in the in the series. Everyone else has a sketchy past, or you don't know what what their ultimate game is, um, as far as all the other characters and. Uh, but it's it's great. I think I think it, it handles the the realism of what would happen if superheroes were really here and, and the corp the corruption that takes that would take place. I mean, they're trying to put them in the military. 
and and you kind of learn more about the background of the universe as well as you move on throughout the series. Uh, but yeah, I think it's also a good show that you should watch. It's on Amazon, which um, it's on Amazon Prime, uh, so you can watch it there. It's only eight episodes, but they are hour long. They are uh, very rich. It's a very dark show in that uh, there's a lot of violence and. Uh, yeah, it's not a kid's show. A lot of violence, a lot of grit, and a lot of dark, and it gets worse probably as the series goes on too in terms of the, the dark tone that takes place. You know, it's not necessarily a, a feel-good show. It is based on a comic book, I believe. Uh, and so I think it's getting a second season already, and I think it's it's well-deserved. I think it's a, a very good show. Uh, Elizabeth Shue is great in it as kind of this... Uh, that she's she's the vice president of the corporation that runs the superheroes, uh, and she, and she's great in it. Uh, anyway, that's that's the boys. Uh, I don't really have anything else to talk about that because I don't want to say too much about the series. I really want people to experience it themselves and, and see uh, how they feel about it because it, it definitely takes a bunch of. That's another series that takes a bunch of twists and turns. That I mean, I mean, I'm stupid when I watch shows like this, but I really didn't see any any of this coming. Um, as far as how they build the series uh, and all the, the surprises and twists that they throw in. But I think it's, it's something that a lot of people, if you like superhero shows, or even, mm, I think, yeah, I think you would have to like superhero shows to like this series. Because even though it kind of not makes fun of, it's not a comedy necessarily, but it does kind of address the ridiculousness of what would happen if we actually had superheroes? What are the politics around that? What are the, what are the financial ramifications? What are the ramifications of people? You know, there's, they, they don't show this in, and they do show it a little bit in like the, the Marvel movies, right? The Marvel Cinematic Universe movies where like, sometimes like there's collateral damage that you can't, that they don't really, or you can't avoid in that there are people on the ground that get affected all the time by maybe some superheroes fighting in the sky. Uh, but anyway, that's The Boys, um, and that's also Big Little Light Season 2. So uh, again, let, let me know if you guys like this format, this solo format. I talked for way longer than I thought I would. Uh, I'm going to throw it to something else that we have. So this next thing is about like the math behind lotteries and all that. Again, I recorded this with a couple guys. Uh, now it's been a couple of years since I did this, but... Uh, Hopefully it's still relevant. I haven't listened to it that thoroughly, but uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, as always, keep keep downloading these episodes. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with something else. Uh, so yeah, thanks. We're gonna go to the next segment. Okay, Alok, what do you want to talk about this week? All right, so so there's this book I've been reading. So this is. We're shifting gears from fantasy. This is our, like, miscellaneous topic of the week. So I didn't think people noticed that, but all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, well, in case you didn't. So there's this book uh, I've been reading. I'm almost done with it. Uh, it's called How Not to Be Wrong, The Power of Mathematical Thinking by Jordan Ellenberg. It's a New York Times bestseller and one of Bill Gates's ten favorite books of all time which says a lot considering Bill Gates reads like a book a week. So, I mean, this, this book is, um, it's essentially about like how you can apply very simple, like arithmetic based mathematical, I guess, formulas to 
very ordinary things in, you know, average daily life to get better intuition about uh, things that you might do on a regular basis. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, a lottery in 2005 in the state of Massachusetts. And Ellenberg uh, talks a great deal about this, uh, about, devotes like a, about an entire chapter. So the idea is, in 2005 in Massachusetts, there's a lottery called Cash Windfall. So if you're not familiar with how a lottery normally works, normally you, you know, pick a few numbers, about six, let's say, and if you match all six digits of this number with the official lottery number, then you win the jackpot, and if you match five of, five of the digits, then you win not the jackpot, but some smaller amount of money, and so on for different numbers of digits. So ordinarily, in something like Powerball or Mega Millions, if no one wins the jackpot, then the jackpot could increase from like $2 million to $3 million, and so on. But none of the lower tier prizes would increase. The difference between an ordinary lottery and cash windfall in Massachusetts is that cash windfall would increase the lower tier prizes. And you can, and if you think about it, you know this might make some sense. It incentivizes more people to buy lottery tickets, and then the state makes more money. But what happened was because they increased the lower tier prices. If you took the expected value, which I'll go into in a minute, of a lottery ticket, of a two dollar lottery ticket, you end up getting that the expected value is two dollars and seventy six cents which means that on average you would make a 76 cent profit per lottery ticket the more lottery tickets you buy so expected value is a pretty simple um, I guess value it's probably the second thing you would learn in a average probability or statistics course and a simple example could be say we have a lottery where the jackpot is a million dollars and you have a probability of one-sixth of getting a million dollars so you have a probability of one-sixth of winning a million dollars let's say a third of winning a thousand dollars and then uh, a probability of half of winning a hundred dollars so the expected value is just the probability of winning some prize times the prize itself summed over all prizes. So in this case, it's a million dollars times a six, plus a thousand dollars times a third, plus a hundred dollars times a half. And then that would be the expected value. So if you took the expected value of cash windfall, you end up getting that the expected value of a lottery ticket is $2.76. And since a lottery ticket um, for cash windfall costs $2, on average you would get 76 cents of profit per lottery ticket the more lottery tickets you buy. So, because this is in Massachusetts, you will have schools like MIT and Harvard with some pretty smart people, and some of them figured this out. They computed the expected value of this lottery and saw that it's actually a good investment contrary to, you know, the ordinary lottery. So a lot of people at these schools ended up making, or rather forming, lottery firms, I guess, where they would buy like 10,000, 20,000 lottery tickets from 
uh, convenience stores and they would make like you know ten thousand twenty thousand thirty thousand and sometimes even more than that millions of dollars in profit um, there's even some people who I remember one person ended up dropping out of medical school to pursue this full-time which I don't know if that was the best decision considering the lottery was closed in 2008 so I don't know what he's doing now but he did that um, so yeah overall this is a pretty good book uh, I think on Goodreads it had about a four star rating uh, I'm not quite done with it yet um, I have about a hundred pages left but uh, I would definitely recommend this book um, that was probably the most interesting story I found in it but there's a lot of other things in it from uh, if you're interested in fantasy baseball which I mean if you're listening to this podcast I'm assuming you are he does apply simple mathematics to baseball uh, for a little bit of the book to show that um, the home run if you've heard of the home run derby curse he argues that that's not actually a curse that that's just you know a myth so that's a small part of the book but that's if you're interested in fantasy baseball you could uh, get the book just for that part at least but yeah overall it's a pretty good book I would recommend it alright alright um, I will have to learn to read and then I'll get right on that thanks a lot for that insight uh, anything else we want to talk about uh, I know Baby Driver is coming out next week so get your tickets next Wednesday yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure. Make sure you see it. No, really. It's uh, it's, it's great. Lots of great music too. I, I frankly always thought that the Home Run Derby curse was actual, actual curse. Yeah. It was an act, you know. I thought there was some like the fairy godmother from Shrek just like cursed everyone. Yeah, man. yeah you're right. All right. Now that we've moved on to Shrek, we've uh, we've clearly run too long here. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Again, make sure you leave a comment about the trivia, leave a like, share it with all your friends, if you have them, uh, and tune in next week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. Yep. Bye. See you.